Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gordon Ryan is back atop the pound-for-pound ranking after an utterly dominant display at who's number one last week, the heavyweight title bout against Pedro Mourinho, and it was pretty shocking to see. We're going to break down Gordon Ryan's epic performance from last week's Who's Next finale. We're also going to talk about his upcoming super fight with Felipe Pena. August 7th, we're going to talk about the Who's Next finale marathon match from last week with Isaac Michelle and Kyle Chambers. We're going to talk about the IBJJF GP. We're going to talk about ADCC and much more. Myself, Howell Teague, joined by Corey Stockton. Corey, tell me, how do you feel after being in the room for the longest match in Who's Number One history? I uh, definitely lived a piece of history. Don't know if I want to live live that exactly again. Uh, but really an epic match, right? An epic moment in the history of jiu-jitsu and, and the history of who's number one, who's next. Um, that that match had this really cool ending to it, right? It got scooted into the back room. Um, I think a perfect way to wrap this thing up, right? Put put everything in the back, back room right where it started and kind of film it Fight Club style. Yeah, Fight Club style. I like that. It was an epic moment. It'll definitely go down in history. Um, really was a, a landmark moment in uh, in modern jiu-jitsu. And uh, we'll get into the details of that a little bit later. Of course, today's episode of the Grappling Bulletin podcast, you can join us uh, in the YouTube live chat. Uh, send us your questions, your comments as we're going through today's topics. You can see just on the uh, side of the screen right here, going to talk about Gordon, who's next finale, uh, the show we've got coming up uh, August 7th, the GP, uh, ADCC, and much more. So yeah, join us in the YouTube chat, just comments, uh, questions, whatever have you, as we go through the show, and we'll do our best to respond. So let's get into it, Gordon's dominance. Gordon's dominance was just something else. Uh, the Who's Next, the Tezos Who's Number One, Who's Next finale, presented by Fantaya Beer, incredible mouthful. But yeah, despite competing just once all year, despite battling his ongoing health problems that he says put him at, right now at around about 60% of his athletic potential. And despite the fact that he faced off with the who's number one light heavyweight champion Pedro Mourinho, Gordon Ryan had one of his most dominant performances yet and made Pedro Mourinho, no offense, look like a white belt. And now... We're looking at some of Gordon's most dominant moments from his who's number one career. Undefeated, Corey, and a perfect record. And there is a definite theme going on in all these matches, right? Yeah, it's, it's his seemingly unbearable pressure, right? 
uh, Gordon uh, showing off his passing skills, but really against Pedro, uh, the, the thing that we saw most was his ability to not just utilize the mount to put pressure and to, to exhaust and to, at points, even suffocate Pedro, but to turn Pedro over to the back to back control and mount and back to back control and back to mount seemingly at will. Yeah, his top pressure from the mount must be something truly incredible because he has tap people with literally just pressure, but he often uses the mount to open up submissions of his choice. And uh, the match with Pedro stands out because he actually spent more time in mount than any of his other matches. And he was cooking Pedro. He was using the mount to try and attack for a smother choke, a smother submission. He wasn't quite able to get it. 25 minutes or so into the match, he says that he actually started getting heckled by somebody from in the in the crowd. So he decided to finish. You'll hear Corden comment on that in a minute. But just looking at the pure stats, the Gordon's dominance in those matches, those six who's number one matches against Kyle Bain, Mateus Denise, Roberto Jimenez, Wagner Hosher, Jacob Couch, and Pedro Mourinho. That list includes ADCC champions, who's number one champions, IBJJF World Nogi champions, ADCC medalists, ADCC trials winners. This is this is a list of truly impressive grapplers. And Gordon has dispatched each and every single one of them with ease. And it seems like uh, I think the whole jiu-jitsu community came together and said that this is Gordon's most competitive match maybe since the beginning of who's number one, right? All yeah. the way back to Kyle Bame in 2020. Um, add that to the fact that they were cl- the closest in size Gordon has ever been to one of his opponents on who's number one right. leading, leading up to now. Uh, and Gordon looked equally as dominant. He looked like he, he was never under threat in 25 minutes of grappling. He took to the feet with Pedro Marino, which is something we rarely see from him. and Showcased his wrestling. And, and took him down, took Pedro down. Uh, and then from the mount, just... Made, made me as a, as a grappler reconsider everything I know about control, about positional dominance. That's an interesting observation, something that myself, Chase, and Kendall talked about a lot during the actual broadcast, during the live play-by-play, play-by-play commentary, is that the fact that Gordon, he has reintroduced the mount as a dominant position in no-gi jiu-jitsu because it fell out of fashion, fell out of favor for a long time. People weren't really utilizing the mount. I think Gordon was maybe responsible for that because he showed one of the most effective mount escapes. He showed it in the, the I think it was the Onnit Invitational a few years ago where he was playing what they call the possum guard. <laughs> he basically just let his opponents pass the mount and then immediately would do that sort of the, the hydraulic kind of escape, hands in the hips, and then go into a heel hook and, and submit people. So people were like, oh man, mount sucks in jiu-jitsu. We're not going to do mount anymore. Gordon's like, well, actually, <laughs> I'm going to show you that the mount is an extremely powerful position. And he used it in every single one of those matches almost. I think of five of those six, actually. He utilized the mounts with incredible success. And you mentioned about the weight, the weight difference. So if you go to today's if you go to the website, if you go to look at today's Grappling Bulletin article, you'll see that I actually put a little table in there with Gordon's weights uh, with regards to each of his opponents. And yeah, there have been matches where he's been as much as uh, 25 pounds bigger than his opponents. But yes, the match with Pedro was closer in weight than any of his previous opponents. He was only on the official scale eight pounds heavier. On the day of the match, because Gordon actually competes fasted. Gordon doesn't eat for 24 hours before competing because of his stomach problems. He was down to 218 that day. 
So he was only about three pounds heavier than Pedro had weighed in at the day before. So Gordon looked so heavy on top. And what I'm wondering is, how do you think Gordon is able to generate so much pressure and to just utterly control his opponents from those positions i mean maybe this is uh oversimplification but it's it's all in the technique right size clearly has nothing to do with its strength i'd imagine has very little to do with it it's all about where he puts himself uh under his opponent's elbows or th there's little technical nuances and little details that he's adjusting uh that clearly make a world of difference yeah, uh, I think there's a lot to learn from watching Gordon's performance. There's a lot to study about the way that he separates the elbows away from the upper body, the way that he was uh, sort of bringing the elbows up close to the head and sort of like start to you know, set up uh, uh, arm triangle chokes and the such, but you know, using that smother. I feel bad because there's going to be a lot of white belts and blue belts in the gym getting crushed by grapplers wishing to try out Gordon Ryan's new smothering techniques, I'm sure. <laughs> so <laughs> pour one out for the white belts. But... Um, we saw a similar technique being utilized by Nicholas Marigali, his training partner in the match with uh, Bray LeGrout. Right, and, and Marigali, I think his entire style looked reminiscent of the same game that Gordon is playing, right? A lot of, maybe the passing looks a little bit different, but the takedowns are similar, the passing is similar, and when he gets to mount, the end goal is uh, similar, at least to, to some of Gordon's earlier performances last year, is the armbar. It's the system. Right, exactly. it's got to be the system because you know that John Danaher and uh, and his new wave team and Gordon in particular they uh, they are big proponents of various attack systems and uh, that was a, a, a Gordon it was a masterclass in in the, the mount system Nicholas Marigali was certainly uh, you know real time workshopping some of those techniques as well utilized it to uh, to get the arm triangle choke in his match as well so yeah a lot to unpack from that match from Gordon and uh, most importantly of course but what that means for the match with Flippy Penner. Because, well, there's a great comment here in our YouTube chat, actually, that uh, it's, um, where are you? There we go. Mikey Pabua says that Gordon was trying to send a message to Flippy via the Pedro match. Because Pedro used to train under Flippy. The Gracie Baja teammates, that he, Pedro was sort of brought up by Flippy and put and made a professional athlete. He gave him his first big break. So you know that Flippy was paying attention to this match for multiple reasons. Of course, he wants to study Gordon before their match on August 7th. And of course, he wants to see his teammate and see how he fares against Gordon. And you think that Gordon was trying to send a message? Uh, I mean, Gordon, Gordon said just that, right? He, he was especially there to send a message to Felipe. I think that's why he spent so long trying to smother Pedro. I think he could have finished that match a lot earlier if he had wanted to, but I think he wanted to use Pedro as kind of the, the catalyst for his message to, to Felipe. That A, he can smother one of Felipe, I'd imagine one of Felipe's toughest training partners, and, and B, I think there was a little bit of a psychological, I, I just tortured your friend element in there as well. All right, we're going to play a clip now. Uh, this is Gordon, uh, 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 an excerpt from Gordon's post-match interview after his, uh, his title belt winning performance. He's now officially the Who's Number One Heavyweight Champion. Let's play the clip and hear what he has to say. Um, I feel good. Uh, I'm just happy to be back, to be honest. Um, you know, it's been a long road. I'm still not 100%. I'm still only like, you know, 60 to 70% with my stomach. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm able to at least function as a human being now from day to day. And uh, I'm just happy I can go out there and, you know, manage my stomach enough to compete against the best guys. Um, so that's the main thing. I'm just happy to be back. Um, you know, I, I put like an impossibly hard submission for my call today. Um, it's a smother tap. It was a fake move. Um, and uh, it's basically just to create a dilemma between 
smother, using a smother and then go with the double underhooks, which he figured out posting the armpit was going to make it hard for me to go to, into the smother, and then I just refused to go to the double underhook, so um, he kind of figured it out and kind of messed me up. Um, but then someone in the crowd was yelling at me, they're like, he only got five minutes left, like, what are you gonna, what's, what's on the card, win by decision? And then uh, I said to him right there, I was like, okay, I'll finish something else. And then within 20 seconds, I was on his back and I finished it. Overall, I'm just happy to be back. Um, you know, happy that I can finally compete against someone who was my own size, who is not 40 years old, which being older is an advantage, no one understands that. Uh, but someone who's relatively my age, my size, uh, my weight at least, um, the 205 champion for who's number one and their double gold uh, reigning uh, IBJJF world champion. Um, so uh, there's just no excuses that anyone can make this time because he's an active champion who is my size and my age. So, um, yeah. And uh, I think it's fair to say that I just made him look like a white belt. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Um, bummed out that I didn't uh, get to smother him, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. All right, so we've got some really good comments and questions here in the... Uh in the, the YouTube live chat. I'm going to respond to a couple of them now. Uh, Caleb Martin says that we're going to need two versus one uh, for it to be competitive when it comes to Gordon because, like like we've said, you know, he's been that dominant against every single one of his opponents on who's number one so far. It's like, geez, what do you do? You get, get tag team? <laughs> no, or two guys at the same time? Uh, Krona says that the match was crazy. It really shows that there are levels even more so at Black Belt. And I think that's fair comment because Pedro... That match is not a good representation of his jiu-jitsu because Pedro has gone head-to-head -head with Victor Hugo, Wagner Hosha, Roberto Cyborg, some of the very best in the world, and Gordon toyed with him. Yeah, exactly that. It's This match... It, Pedro did not look like Pedro in this match, right? Pedro looked like... I mean, you could fill in, fill in the blank. Right. Um, and that's just how good Gordon is, um, which kind of brings to my mind the, the Felipe Pena match, right? Because... Felipe is naturally a guard puller, right? Mm. Felipe very rarely fights for top position. He wants to get to the back via the guard. Especially in a no-time-limit sub-owning match, right. which is what it's going to be on August 7th. So if you put Gordon in a situation where he doesn't even have to fight for the top position, Gordon, knowing how good his passing is, knowing how good his pressure is, um, we're going to have to see an exceptional guard from Felipe Pena. Right. We got here, Cronus uh, again saying that Pedro really hung in there. And uh, I, I, I agree, you know, that, that Pedro was under all kinds of pressure. I mean, there was moments underneath the mount where he was like almost drowning under the pressure. Like Gordon was basically waterboarding him with a sweaty rash guard and just driving his chest into his face. So much so that, that Pedro took his mouthpiece out and spat it out, threw it away. So much so that there were moments when he was completely covered, his face was covered, and he would get a tiny bit of space and he would kind of come up for air. He'd go, <gasps> and then have to get go back under and get smothered. He was literally drowning under the pressure. And, you know, we've got some comments here. Ryan Barnes says that Gordo, Gordon made Pedro look like him when he's rolling with his coach. DGPN says Pedro looked like a hobbyist black belt. And these are all fair comments and not disrespectful to Pedro, more an accurate assessment of how that match really went. Um, some good technical kind of comments here about the about the way that he was maintaining the position as well. Uh, Rich Finaldi says that he keeps the pressure on and kept Pedro's elbows and arms either up at his head. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting point as well, that Gordon's got this great ability to separate the elbows from the torso and to compromise that posture from bottom. Because a lot of the time, well, as we saw in Kyle Chambers, 
you know, those elbows in, it's very difficult to submit somebody when they're just shelled up like that. But Gordon's got some voodoo that he's able to get people's arms all the way up here, right? Yeah, I think even going back to when uh, the, the DDS was really focusing on leg locks, right? Isolation was key. And, and that's something that I think they spent a lot of time focusing on as a team uh, at, at New Wave is... Uh, ma- making sure to isolate limbs away from the body, and that's something they've, they're have they clearly exceptionally good at. Yeah, the mechanics are just incredible. They really are. Like I say, uh, so, much to, uh, so much to study and to unpack from that match. Well, as we said, Gordon is once again atop the pound-for-pound pound rankings, and, uh, of course, he only really slipped from that, more due to inactivity than, than anything else, his actual record. So uh, we'll see him in action again soon, and I'm sure that Felipe Pena uh, will have been watching that match very closely but um, I imagine that Penner is unfazed by the previous Who's Number One matches. I think he's probably unfazed by the numbers, the stats that we've seen, the time that Gordon has spent in dominant positions, the endless submissions that he's been scoring in his matches because Felipe has the utter belief that he can't beat Gordon at his own game. Yeah, and he's got the, the two numbers that matter most, right? The record number of submission wins and the record number of wins over Gordon Ryan. He, he's the only person who have submitted Gordon Ryan ever and the only person to have beaten Gordon twice. Yeah. You know, the last time that Gordon was actually submitted prior to the, the match against Felipe Pena was in 2014. I think he was still a purple belt at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, he was. He was still a purple belt. And uh, I couldn't even find that information. I had to text Gordon and ask him. And I was like, man, when was the last time you got submitted? And he's like, he got submitted twice in 2014. That's how how frequently Gordon loses by submission. Incredible. really is. But yeah, we'll see that uh, very soon. August 7th, no time limit match in the main event. It will be the last match of the evening as well. We won't have any issues like we did in the Who's Next finale last week. But uh, very excited for that. Very excited to see what the game plan is for both men, for Flippy and Gordon. And uh, we're going to settle that score once and for all, right? Seems that way. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about the who's next finale. So the uh, the next subject that we're going to talk about is, the, of course, the no time limit match. The no time limit match. The epic who's next finale marathon match. It was between Isaac Michelle and Kyle Chambers. It was the uh, the culmination of the ongoing Who's Next Submission Fighter Challenge reality TV show that, of course, you can watch on Flow Grappling. And now we saw throughout the, the filming of that season that these no time limit submission only matches, they can go from 30 seconds or they can go up to three hours. And we weren't quite sure what to expect leading into this match. But what we got was a real test of endurance and jujitsu skill in a match that lasted two hours, 11 minutes and 58 seconds before Isaac Michelle was able to score the grand prize winning armbar submission, right? Right, and that doesn't tell the whole story of the event leading up to the match, right? Because Isaac right. Isaac was uh, just a couple days back in the States after a flight from Australia where he had just chaos getting out of the country. So, um Real credit to Isaac for pushing through to make it out here and then enduring two and a quarter hours of, of mat time uh, to achieve 
the the very first ever who's number one uh, who's next championship who's next title um, it's gonna and, go down in history yeah yeah the, the very first right um, pretty nice cash prize for as well he yeah. got ten thousand dollars cash also got ten thousand tez which is around about fourteen thousand dollars and uh and a three-match contract on who's number one let's take a quick look at the submission the actual the match ending submission from this epic encounter now this took place backstage because as Corey mentioned we went a full 99 minutes at the uh, on the main mat on the live broadcast and what happened was there was no end in sight so the Gordon Ryan Pedro Mourinho match was still to come so we basically took the match we put it on the warm up mats we had the cameras and the lights there and the match continued uh, kept going for quite a while longer and this is the kind of the, 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 the finishing sequence so you can see that Isaac Michelle in the all black was able to get against the 10th planet black belt Kyle Chambers when you talk us through this Corey uh, Isaac is once again in the mount, right? He, he had passed Kyle's guard uh, several times and, and uh, made his way to, to Kyle's back uh, quite often too. But the rear naked choke was not working. Kyle had an ironclad defense. Um, Unusual defense. Yeah. The home alone defense, yeah. we've been calling it, right? right. They're kind of they're putting the hands against the, the face. Yeah. And uh, usually you'd see people get tapped even with their hands inside the rear naked choke. But Isaac said he was super strong. Right. And, and so with, with that, with the, Back control not seeming to, to lead to a submission. Um, we missed the submission there. Uh-oh. Let's keep the, roll, keep the tape rolling. We missed the finish. Yep. Um, uh, 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 Kyle left his arm hanging, and Isaac finally switched to the arm bar and ended up picking, picking up there. Yeah. So let's just mention a few things about this match. Like you say, he arrived only 48 hours prior to the match. Uh, you know, he was jet-lagged coming from Australia, and they say it takes about a day to uh, kind of acclimatize for every hour of time difference. So there was something going on, something going on with our video as well. It's paused, unfortunately. But there was something going on uh, with, 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 with Isaac into this match because, you know, he was basically fighting the effects of extreme jet lag, and yet he went out there for two hours and just poured on the pressure, just did not give up. And it's kind of amazing, actually. He was able to keep up such a high pace throughout that whole match. Because, you know, Kyle's strategy became very obvious very quickly. His strategy was to wait for Isaac to get tired, to make a mistake, to leave an opening, and to counterattack, which he did a couple of times, and he came pretty close. Yeah, and I think that it's a, it's a great strategy if you, if you look at the rule set in which they were, they were battling, right? It's no time limit submission only. There's... The only incentive to to make a mistake is you get tired, you get bored, you get exhausted, right? So right. if if you're or you lose mental focus, that's right. usually what it is in these long matches, right? So if you are getting positionally dominated, the the best course of action if, when when there's that much money on the line is to wait for the top guy to to take a risk, and right. that's very often where Kyle found his opportunities, right? Isaac, uh, after winning in the positional game, would would take a shot at a submission and. Kyle would counterattack. Yeah, that, that uh, triangle armbar that he went after was so impressive. I and mean, it, it was definitely Kyle's best attack throughout the whole thing. And I asked Isaac about it afterwards, and he said, oh, yeah, it was on. It was on there for a second. But, you know, that was the one kind of real moment that Kyle had in comparison to uh, Isaac's just endless time spent in dominant positions and um let's let's actually hear from isaac briefly because we have an interview clip with him uh, immediately after the match and he kind of breaks down a little bit about the match a lot of my training was um wrestling uh points um not so focused on submission attacks but uh next time i do a no time match i guess i'll definitely uh focus on submission attacks more so 
right now, man. Yeah, man, I'm stoked, hey. <laughs> That's over? Yeah, yeah, that was that was a long match, hey. <laughs> did it go, did anything surprise you about Kyle? Uh, his strength. I think his strength surprised me the most. Um, he was His grips were very strong. His uh, ability to fight from the back was, was very strong. Um, I guess, like, uh, I would like... Uh, for him to have opened up his offensive game more he played a pretty defensive game um, so I guess that's why also the submission took a lot longer than I, than I expected to yeah it probably probably is the craziest match I've ever had I guess I, I did the, the ADCC uh, trials finals as well that was also a big moment for me um, but yeah this this, this probably tops it um, just because it was such a uh, interesting uh, match I guess uh, it went a lot longer than I expected um, you know I started cramping up uh, when I was walking over here, I had huge cramps in, in my uh, in my legs. So during that last section of the match, I was more so stretching out my legs than I was trying to gain position. Um, so I guess that also played a factor. Um, I didn't want to stop due to a cramp. Um, but uh, I also felt my, my knees were also quite sore. I've got two meniscus tears in both knees. So uh, I was feeling that a little bit. That played a little bit of a factor. But I put that aside and just uh, told myself to keep hunting the submission. And I eventually got there in the end. So there's, uh, there's certainly no doubt about Isaac's performance in this match. And I think that while many people would maybe like to forget the match, they're never going to forget Isaac's performance. Isaac came out of this match a hero. Of course, the filming of the show, you know, the matches that he had against world-class black belts, beating Adam Bradley, beating Jansen Gomez, beating Kyle Chambers, extremely impressive display of jiu-jitsu. I think Isaac's personality and his jiu-jitsu have won him a lot of fans, a lot of fans. This is a really special moment in this kid's career, and this could be a turning point. We could really see a star being born here. Yeah, which is great because we're going to see a lot more of him, right? He earned himself that free match, who's number one contract. Uh, he, he will be on who's number one again in the future. And I think that it's exactly that. It's the perfect opportunity for Isaac to, to take the opportunity he's had and, and grow 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 himself out of it. I, I hope that he keeps this momentum going because, of course, don't forget that Isaac is also qualified for ADCC in September. Now, this is a huge opportunity for this, this guy that after having won the ADCC trials in Australia, after having won the Who's Next season one, after by punching his ticket to go to ADC, ADCC, man, you have to think that, you know, that, that's got to give him so much confidence to go in. And I think that people, people better be getting themselves ready for Isaac. I think that people better be very careful of Isaac Michel because he displayed great wrestling, displayed really good top game, and he displayed the ability to just go and go and go in the face of adversity. And yeah, maybe he, is, he himself admits that he needs to tighten up some of his uh, finishing mechanics, but he's got plenty of time to work on that between now and ADCC. Incredibly impressive performance. One thing I want to add before, uh, before we move on, um, just a, a cool jujitsu moment that we we caught uh, from from the sides is th there was a uh, some real insight into jujitsu innovation right in in uh, th during that match because it was two hours long because there were so many people invested there were moments where uh, Ethan Crellinson and Damian Anderson kind of snuck off uh, on the sideline. Uh, one took the other's back and they were you know one was here and they were kind of troubleshooting no that doesn't work uh, what if, no that doesn't work either. Okay, this would work. Isaac, try this. And then back to the well, right? But it didn't work. So cool. real-time problem solving. Cool to see. Right, cool to see it happen. Yeah, that is, that is cool. Um, so 
Before we go into, there's plenty of conversation in the in the live chat about this, but I think we should talk about Kyle Chambers as well because Kyle made some comments in his post match interview that drew a lot of attention. And the best thing to do is let Kyle speak, hear it in his own words, and then we can dissect what he said. Kyle, thanks so much for, the, for, for doing this, man. Uh, I know the fight, of course, didn't go your way. Just give me your thoughts on, on the uh, experience here tonight. Yeah, man, um, good night, you know. I can make a million, million excuses, you know, saying that I wasn't 100% coming into camp. But the truth is, we're never 100% coming into any fight. That's kind of what we do when we train hard. We have little things, you know, and I had plenty of opportunities to capitalize. It doesn't matter how my body felt, you know, and I should have capitalized and had good opportunities, you know. He was playing really good anti-jiu-jitsu, what we call it, like not really trying to engage until he can like fully pass my guard, which was really well, you know. We had a crazy battle, you know. It was like two hours or something, you know. I wanted to go the hell and back, you know. I wanted it so bad, you know, but sometimes um, it doesn't go your way. So it's one of those days, so I'm just gonna go back to the drawing bar and get back but please believe i'm gonna be back stronger than ever you know so kyle had some comments about what he called anti-jujitsu and he basically accused isaac of playing anti-jujitsu and the immediate response from everybody was what like what was isaac not doing in that match the anti-jujitsu is usually defined as not engaging, stalling, or playing jujitsu in a way that isn't offensive and shuts down any any opportunity for counter offense. It's a very uh, very conservative kind of style of play, let's call it, and often very boring and really nothing much happens. So to hear Kyle claim that Isaac was playing anti jujitsu really riled a lot of people up because they're like, dude, Isaac outworked out positions and was attacking for submissions nonstop during that match. What do you make of Kyle's comment? Yeah, it took me a while to, to try and figure out uh, exactly how what Isaac did, how, how Isaac Jiu-Jitsu could have possibly been anti-Jiu-Jitsu because he was attacking, right? He was passing, he was taking the back. He was playing conservative when he had dominant positions, but that's because there was really no imperative for him to take any risks right a dominant position you don't open yourself up for risk you're in control you would you you wouldn't open yourself up for for risk in those kind of positions right right? so i'll 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 give that he was being conservative maybe a little bit risk averse but in those positions you should be conservative risk averse wait for your opportunity because you are in there's no progressing from back control right right there's no No, anti-jujitsu when you're in mount or you're you know you've got back control or something that's not anti jujitsu that is just doing jujitsu because those are the control positions. Well, Kyle responded uh, on his social media, and I'm going to read out the quote here. He said, "People getting so butt hurt over the anti jujitsu comments when talking about anti jujitsu. It's not saying that you're not doing jujitsu at all. It's describing the style of passing you're using. So many people have things to say, but they don't even understand the meaning of the term or the context it was used." People just want to be followers and jump on bandwagons. So it seems that maybe this is a question about language here. Maybe it's a question about description because Gio Martinez, Kyle's coach, also backed him up and said that people are tripping when they don't get what we mean when we say anti-jujitsu. It's a style people play to make it difficult to get your game going by not allowing you to establish any grips or hooks. He wouldn't look at it as a diss. 
If anything, it's more of a compliment in Geo's opinion. So it's maybe a little bit of a semantics argument here as to exactly what anti-jujitsu means. But I think that we need to maybe define anti-jujitsu for everybody else here because anti-jujitsu is not what Isaac Michelle was doing. And Gio and Kyle, I love you guys. I think you're fantastic black belts. I think you're fantastic competitors. But you cannot call what happened in that match anti-jujitsu. Anti-jujitsu is the opposite of what Kyle was doing. Uh, excuse me, what Isaac was doing. Isaac was on the attack. Isaac was passing the guard. He was in control positions. Defensive when necessary. Conservative when necessary. But in dominant position is not anti-jujitsu. Anti-jujitsu is not engaging. Anti-jujitsu is stalling. It's running away. It's shutting down your opponent in such a way that you're not playing jujitsu and neither are they. It is the antithesis of doing jujitsu. So I think we need to rewrite the script about what anti-jujitsu really means. Because uh, I don't want you guys losing fans over this. You know, it's, a, it's an important one. Because we're looking at the comments here. And we got some comments here about Kevin Holmes says that Chambers saying Isaac Jiu-Jitsu was using anti-BJJ was pretty laughable for somebody who kept his hands on his face for two hours. And there's, there's a lot of conversation in here as well. You know, I, the general consensus is that that, that that match was not a good showcase for anti-Jiu-Jitsu. No, and I think given the, the definition that... that Kyle and Gio have been using, I think it makes sense that Isaac was using short, conservative jiu-jitsu, right? He was using defensive or, or denial jiu-jitsu. He wasn't allowing Kyle to get his game going. Right. But it was not for Isaac's lack of attacking no. that, that Kyle couldn't get his game going. It was that Isaac was... It, it's like saying that Gordon was doing anti-jiu-jitsu to Pedro, right? <laughs> yeah, good point. Because it's the same thing. It's good point. Gordon was not allowing Pedro to start to get started, but Gordon was, was attacking the whole time, and he was he was... He was working. Yeah. There are some far more egregious examples of what anti-jujitsu really looks like. That match was not one of them. Well, I think that's enough said about that. Once again, congratulations to Isaac Michelle for winning Who's Next Submission Fighter Challenge, becoming the Who's Next champion, earning a three-match contract on Who's Number One. Hopefully, we see him back in action very soon. We will see him at ADCC, and I really hope that this is a breakout moment for this young star from Australia. Bright future ahead. Let's move on and talk about the upcoming Who's Number One on August 7th. Because we've got a couple more topics to get through for today. Uh, and this one, of course, is the biggest match in Who's Number One history. Up until last week, the biggest match in Who's Number One history was Gordon Ryan versus Pedro Mourinho. Because that was champion versus uh, the number one pound-for-pound guy in the world by everybody's estimation. Light heavyweight champ going for the heavyweight title and Gordon winning the heavyweight belt. That was a big match. Absolutely was. Yeah, yeah. huge match. But is there any super fight? Well, maybe one. Are there many super fights <laughs> more anticipated than the match between Gordon Ryan and Felipe Pena? Only that of Andre Galvao and Gordon Ryan. These are the two most anticipated super fights in all of grappling. And we have booked one of them for August 7th in Dallas, Texas on who's number one. Gordon Ryan takes on Felipe Pena in what is possibly the ultimate grudge match. Yeah, uh, for, for all the reasons we, we explained earlier, right? Uh, Felipe has the only submission victory against Gordon since Gordon has earned his black belt. Uh, he ha he's the only person to have two victories over Gordon Ryan, and they have been nonstop talking shit for seven years. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. So just let's go back in history a little bit. 2016, uh, Gordon Ryan 
the upstart. This is previous to this is prior to winning ADCC. This is you know still Gordon was in his rookie year and he'd had some success and he wanted to really establish himself among the world class black belts and he did that by issuing all manner of challenges and uh, one of the few people to accept was Felipe Pena. Felipe Penner, of course, who at that time was silver medalist at ADCC 2015, a world champion in the GI IPJJF. Felipe Penner was one of the best black belts in the world. And he agreed to a no time limit match, or maybe it was an hour time limit, I forget actually. But he agreed to a match, submission only match with Gordon Ryan, and won by submission. This is a very long time ago now, 2016. They met again in the final of the absolute division at 2017 ADCC. Felipe Pena won again, this time not by submission, this time by a back take, an iconic back take, this rolling back take to the leg defense, which since then has become known uh, as the pretzel bolo, has become popularized by some incredible athletes such as we've seen guys like, uh, you know, Kainan Duarte, the Ruotolo brothers, and many others doing it. It's really amazing technique. And Felipe wrote the book on how to escape from leg locks and go straight to the back. Well, winning that and getting two wins over Gordon Ryan, Felipe Pena has basically enjoyed that unique position for the last five years. And Gordon has asked and campaigned and called for that match time and time and time again. And I'm still unclear as to why it's finally happening. What changed in Felipe Pena's attitude that he suddenly has has agreed to Gordon's terms, agreed to a no time limit submission only match, agreed to do it here in the United States on who's number one, agreed to the wager, the side wagers of tens of thousands of dollars that they have going at the same time. I don't know where it's come from, but I love it. Yeah. And this is really just rolling right into ADCC, right? Because of course, they this match, this no time limit match between Gordon Ryan and Felipe Pena will send a message and that message could really resonate in ADCC when they will meet again in the same division. Well, they may meet again. Well, they may, meet, uh, the they may meet again. There's, right. the, there's definitely the opportunity to meet again. And that's one of the reasons why I'm surprised that Felipe would take this match so soon. No, so close to ADCC. So... We're never really going to get into the head of Felipe Penner until we really sit down with him and find out why. And I'm sure we will in a couple of weeks as we get closer to the event. But let's talk a little about Gordon versus Felipe. Because if you look at it objectively, the Gordon Ryan hasn't been quite as prolific as maybe the earlier stage of his career. The last couple of years have been hit and miss with his health problems, with the fact that it's been very difficult to find willing opponents for Gordon. It's been a challenge. He's only had a handful of legit matches. So can you believe that Felipe Penner has had even less no-gi matches? He's only competed really a couple of times. He's had gi matches, but he's had very, very few no-gi matches in the last couple of years. Now, objectively speaking, if you were to rank Felipe Penner and Pedro Mourinho next to each other, their current iterations, let's ignore the fact that, you know, because Felipe Penner's ADCC medals were five years ago now. His gold medal at ADCC, 2017, and his silver medal in 2015, long time ago. So I'm talking about current, modern-day Felipe Pena. Pedro Mourinho, double gold at IBJJF World Championships. Who's number one light heavyweight champion, among other accolades? Beating Victor Hugo, Wagner Hosha, Adam Wodzinski, Roberto Cyborg, among others. Craig Jones, compared to Felipe Pena, relatively inactive. Only really one significant win this year a match against uh, Wagner Hosha, one in EBI rules overtime. You'd have to say that on paper, Pedro Mourinho is a more dangerous opponent than Felipe Pena. 
But will we expect a similar match as what we saw last week? On paper, Pedro Moreno has at least a better a better track record, right? He he has a lot more to go off of to, to say what Pedro Moreno we're looking at now. The Felipe Pena we're looking at now is really tough to predict, especially in comparison to the one we saw in 2017, the one we saw in 2016, 2015. Um, so I'd be a lot more certain about where I put Pedro Mourinho than where I put Felipe Pena. It's, it's going to be very tough to put Felipe Pena in the rankings anywhere because there's just not a whole lot of certainty in, in, in his recent history. There's an interesting comment in our YouTube chat here. RG1921 says that even if Gordon smashes Felipe Pena, the haters, mostly Brazilians, the fans of Felipe Pena, will still say 2-1 to <laughs> Felipe Pena. But if they were to face off again at ADCC in September, mm. it could become an even score. But I think, here's the key. Gordon has so much to prove in this match with Felipe Pena. And he's already told us that he's going to go out there and he's going to treat Felipe like he treated Pedro. He's going to just make it so one-sided. He wants to send a statement. And I'm wondering if the performance of Gordon in August, if it goes to plan, whether it will erase sort of the history, will it erase the memory of those two previous wins that Felipe had against Gordon? What do you think? It depends on how, how dominant Gordon looks, right? If, if Gordon can come out and do to Felipe what he did to Pedro... You may have to make the argument that, okay, that this one win erases all those wins from when Gordon was a fresh black belt, right, from, from when Gordon was just starting. But, of course, you know, the, uh, the people in, in Felipe's corner may say, well, the Felipe in 2017, that was prime Felipe, right? The, it was. There's, there's always going to be an argument, right? But it's, it's about th- th- this match is regardless of 2-1, 3 nothing. this is the ultimate grudge match. It, it, it doesn't really matter who, who comes out on top in the record. I think this match stands alone as the match in this, in this rivalry. I was, just, I was just thinking to myself, I, I can't wait to see what version of Felipe Pena turns up for this because he would not take this match unless he absolutely thought that he could win it by submission. That's the only way to win this match. He's going out here to prove something. He's going out here to shut Gordon up from all the years of shit talking, all the years of comments, all the years of baiting him. That Felipe Pena is going to come out hard. And I just think that the end result of this match is going to be something spectacular and you're going to be able to watch it all on August 7th. That's not all though, because we do have some very cool Nogi matches also on this card. And we exclusively announced the full card during the broadcast of last week's Who's Next finale. Let's take a look on top left. Lovato Jr. versus Nicholas Merigali. Merigali's third Nogi grappling match yeah. and against by far the most dangerous opponent that he's faced yet. Yeah, he, he's had just, just two matches to, wow. to, to prove uh, that his Nogi game is, let's, let's call it even relevant. And he's, he's done so in exciting fashion, right? Uh, demonstrated his wrestling game, demonstrated his, his top game and his, his positional dominance. Um, and he's... he's Two and zero with two submission wins, but he has never faced anyone with the credentials of Rafael Lovato Jr., who is a an IBJJF Nogi World Champion, who is an ADCC veteran, uh, who who's a Bellator champion. Right, his Nogi is definitely uh, more formidable than anybody that that Mergali has has faced to date in Nogi. He is a dangerous opponent, a very very dangerous opponent. Uh, definitely the toughest challenge that Mergali has uh, has faced in his short Nogi career. We'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, the top right, we have Mika Galvao returning to who's number one, taking on 
who's making his uh, who's number one debut actually is EPI champion and 10th planet black belt Alan Sanchez I'm excited for this match. What do you make of that one? Yeah, this is a long time coming, I think, for Alan Sanchez. He's he's really been uh, been digging digging his way in um, and and gotten on our radar. Uh, his his EBI win very impressive. He also did uh, really well at a couple of uh, I want to say Emerald City uh, matches earlier on last year. Um, but also looked great at ADCC trials looked, as well. Looked great at trials. Uh, hit the quarterfinals in both of them. Um, yeah, Alan Sanchez definitely uh, on his way up, but he'll really need to step up against Mika Galvao, who's right now at the top of everybody's radar. Elizabeth Clay returns to who's number one, taking on the uh, 135-pound champion Beatrice Mesquita. But important to note that this is a, a non-title match at 145 pounds. Clay uh, has had some epic matches on Who's Number One all the way back to 2020 when she faced off with the likes of Gabby Garcia, took third place at the Who's Number One Championships. Beatrice Mosquito will be looking to come back and uh, make another statement. She uh, captured the title uh, in October of 2021 and now returns. And I think that uh, both of these women will be looking to make a statement going into ADCC. And then this is a match that I think this is definitely going to be a fan favorite. This is definitely going to be one of those matches that everybody's very excited for because you've got one of the biggest crowd pleasers out there right now uh one half of match of the night from last week's who's number one is jacob jacob j-rod rodriguez uh, going up against jacob couch the hillbilly hammer so hillbilly hammer one of the stars of the daisy fresh series one of the the best competitors out of the daisy fresh pedagog submission fighting team a multiple time who's number one and who's number yeah who's number one champion uh, championship veteran going up against just a firecracker, a, a, you know, a, a, somebody who is just a, an emerging star in Jacob Rodriguez. This match has fireworks written all over it. Yeah, and I think this is an important match for Couch, right? Going into the West Coast Trials, Couch was the number one seed. He was, I think, everybody's favorite to win that 88-kilogram division. Well, not only did he not not progress very far, but J-Rod shocked the world. Seven submission wins. Uh, now it's, of course, a, a legend. But this, this is a good opportunity for Couch to, to kind of come back and prove... Uh, the, the day wasn't right at West Coast Trials. Uh, given the right day, that could have been his title. Um, and, and I think one way or the other, this match is going to be uh, nonstop. We saw J-Rod last weekend have his back taken for 10 minutes before turning the tables and just sprinting at Giancarlo Baroni for the next five. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, uh, we can pull that graphic down now because this is this is a loaded card. And we also have a couple more matches. We have uh, two of Mika Galvao's teammates, Fight Sports teammates, also making their Who's Number One debuts. We have uh, ADCC South American Trials winners at 66 kilo. Fabricio Andre is taking on Fabian Ramirez uh, at 145 pounds. And Diogo Hayes is taking on the giant killer, Esteban Martinez in another featherweight rules match. I, I, I love these matches. I love the fact that we're getting more uh, emerging stars from Brazil onto who's number one. These ADCC trials winners, uh, Diogo Hayes, Fabrício Andre. Um, if you think that Mika Galvao is exciting, wait till you see these guys. They're, just, they're cut from the same cloth, right? Absolutely. Just the same, same energy, uh, the, sa the same kill or be killed style. Really fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, we're just... Um, reading some of the comments here about how I like this. Jordan Butler says that in the Gi, he'd have a different answer. You know, that Merigali struggled to finish Bray Grout and Arnaldo, and neither of them can hang in an under-99 bracket ADCC. This will be Merigali's first real no-Gi match. And I think that that's... Uh, that's that's a very fair statement that uh, the other two matches, while not taking anything away from his opponents, of course, Arnaldo and, and Brayla, both tough guys, 
they obviously weren't that much of a test for Merigali. And this is the this is the match where we really see what he's going to be made of, right? Yeah, he, he is up against not just a Nogi World Champion, because so was Arnoldo Madonna, but somebody who has spent a lot of time doing various various forms of nogi right ibjjf nogi adcc nogi even mixed martial arts so he's well-rounded as they come um and and definitely one of one of the greats i like this victor doria our friend victor from fight sports miami is uh saying <laughs> he's predicting the baby shark diogo hayes versus the uh, the giant slayer uh esteban martinez he's saying it right now he's saying it's going to be fight of the night couldn't disagree. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotta say, it, it, it definitely, it definitely has it written all over it. Anybody who's seen Esteban in action, just wow. I mean, that guy does not stop, and I think Diogo is going to meet that energy in the middle of the mat. It's going to be really, really cool. Yeah, I, I think this is a great match. Oh, we actually got a good comment here as well that Justin Hill says that he thinks that Elizabeth Clay might be unorthodox enough to give Beer a hard time. What do you make of that? Yeah, I, I was thinking about this kind of last night writing the the, the release article, but um, Liz Clay's style has really changed over the last couple of years. And I think it's a long time coming because a lot of her opponents started to sniff out that she was going to be hunting their legs and right. start to just pressure pass her. Liz Clay has dramatically changed her style so that she is still u- utilizing leg locks, but she's really looking for position and a lot of arm attacks, a lot of back attacks. Uh, once again, what she was doing a lot at brown belt, purple belt. Um, and I think that her rounded out style has made it exactly very unorthodox because yeah. it's leg first, but there's a lot of follow-up attacks now. Yeah, she's got great rubber guard. She's got really, really good close guard. Um, she does have the leg attacks as well, and we almost never see Beatrice Mosquito get into a leg exchange mm-hmm. ever. So it's going to be an interesting uh, clash of styles. I like that match a lot. So that's it. August 7th coming up here. It's a Sunday, Sunday night uh, on Flow Grappling. You can watch that. Gordon versus Flippy Penner and all those other matches. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the next event to talk about, IBJJF. Black Belt GP, August 12th. It's just a couple of days. It's the Friday night after the Who's Number One. Man, this is an interesting one. This is a very interesting one. So, a historic moment because the IBJJF are hosting the first ever female Black Belt GP. And it's a sort of a combined lightweight. And we can bring up this graphic because you can take a look at some of the names that will be in action on this event. In the women's Black Belt female lightweight GP, Bianca Basilio, Natalie Hibero, Anna Rodriguez, Fionn Davis, and then in the men's medium heavyweight GP, you've got Gabriel Arges, Ronaldo Jr., Leandro Lowe, and Matias Luna. And then on Thursday, during the live show of Who's Number One, we announced that there will also be two super fights on the show to include Felipe Andrew versus Urbert Santos in a heavyweight match, and then a middleweight bout between Andy Murasaki and Levi Jones-Leary. I think those two super fights definitely add a little bit more intrigue because the two GPs by themselves are very exciting and I'm really excited to see how these miniature tournaments go. But I love seeing some head-to-head super fights and I think the matchmaking here has been really interesting. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, the the Felipe Andrew versus Herbo Santos match got me really excited for this reason specifically. Both of these guys will punish any mistake. Oh, right? yeah. If you they, make they're a, both savage submission hunters. Right. If you make a mistake against either one of them, they will find it and they will they will catch you for it. But neither of them are above taking risks. True. Right? So both of them are going to be 
I'd expect are going to be taking high risks and whichever one messes up first is going to pay for it. Yeah, Felipe Andrew has got a number of you know primary weapons. He's got that savage straight ankle lock. He's got the triangle armbar and he's got the arm triangle choke. Herbert Santos has got, well, devastating submissions, including uh, a really savage knee bars, really savage arm bars, chokes, you name it. He's got that ex- epic judo as well. And I like the, sort of the balance in the takedown skills as well because Felipe Andrew's got some really slick wrestling. Yeah. Kind of unusual to see at that level, actually. It's something you don't see too many people do but he's got some beautiful details on the switch some excellent counter wrestling and uh Uber santos has got ugly but extremely <laughs> effective judo so i think the takedown battle is also going to be very interesting to watch in this match murasaki versus uh levi jones leary is a really classic matchup between a pressure passer mm-hmm. versus an open guard player right absolutely and, and both of them have Maybe unorthodox styles for their size, right? Uh, yeah. Levi Jones Leary is sure a Barambolo player, but not just a Barambolo player, right? He he likes to attack those unorthodox arm bars, the Terracaplatas and the Baratsaplatas, uh, and for somebody of Andy Murasaki's size, he has such a heavyweight style pressure passing. Oh, yeah. Looks just like Virginia when he's passing. He takes a lot of influence from uh, from Gustavo Batista. So really kind of an unorthodox style for for that size uh, that the matchup's going to be i think really interesting some passing and some guard play we don't see at lightweight very often you know uh, this the focus this summer after the world championships passed it was very much nogi of course who's number one the no time limit matches the who's next finale everything leading into adcc the buzz is nogi this summer but there are still a lot of people out there who appreciate a good old-fashioned gi jiu-jitsu match. And that includes us here at Flow Grappling. We are big aficionados, fans of the gi, train in the gi regularly. You know, it is a big part of our identities and a big part of the, our love for jiu-jitsu is the gi. So it's going to be really interesting and really exciting to see a high-level, invitational, exclusive jiu-jitsu event like this featured on Flow Grappling, some of the best black belts in the world in the gi doing their thing goes down august 12th you can watch it here on flow grappling very excited for that one and i gotta see there's a couple of comments here as well jordan butler back very active in our chat thank you very jordan but it says here that he knows which fleepy andrew is going to pull up but which urbeth will mm-hmm. we see now that is, that is the eternal question you never know with urbeth santos right you never know which version you're going to get yeah and i think with somebody as like I mentioned before, as willing to take a risk as Felipe. I hope we get the the best possible Herbert Santos, the Herbert who's willing to take a risk because that Herbert is so unpredictable in all of the best possible ways. Yeah, yeah. And there's still this doubters, you know, uh, because Herbert's proved time and time again that, you know, you can't trust him to show up in shape. You can't trust him to show up in form. You can you can expect the best, but he'll turn up and he'll he'll disappoint just because it's he's a little uh unstable, inconsistent, let's say. But when he's on, man, he is on. So I think that you know he's gonna come hard for this one. Let's see. So let's move on now. Final topic for today is of course is ADCC twenty twenty two. And we've got some special news because this relates to ADCC twenty twenty two. But actually we got an announcement. We have an announcement. If you read today's Grappling Bulletin article, which you should have done, I always recommend, first thing you do, Monday morning, open flow grappling, go to the Grappling Bulletin article, catch up on all the biggest news stories from the weekend, and you will get special announcements like this. We have just uploaded ADCC 2009. 
ADCC 2011 and ADCC 2015, you can now watch hundreds, hundreds of ADCC matches on Flow Grappling. Historic matches. Some of the best matches in ADCC history are now available to watch on Flow Grappling. I'm talking the likes of Hafa Mendes, Marcelo Garcia, Andre Galvao's absolute gold medal run, Braulio Estima's epic submissions, and much, much more. Play this clip, please, if you would, Producer Nico, because this is just a little glimpse of what to expect from our ADCC archives. That there, that's Marcelo Garcia in 2009 unleashing that shoulder crunch sumigeshi butterfly hook yeah you've got saulo ribeiro wearing a gi top in 2009 against jeff monson you got vinnie magalai's adcc debut flying armbar against ufc champion chris weidman weidman you've got braulio steamer's epic upside down reverse triangle victory against andre galvao in the 88 kilo final last year braulio won double gold and qualified to go on to fight in the super fight the following year. This is 2011. That's Andre Galvao in the 88 kilo final against Toquinho, who's a Palhares in one of the most iconic ADCC matches of all time. And it's just so many matches like this. Corey, are you excited for ADCC uh, matches? I've been so excited to release this news. There's there's so many of these athletes that we have never really had on Flow like Grappling. Like Gracie. Like Cron Gracie, like Marcelo Garcia. Uh, and finally, there's an opportunity to watch these absolute legends. Uh, Cobrini and Hoffa Mendez here, right? In, in, uh, in matches in jiu-jitsu that is so still... Um, uh, it's surprisingly it, modern. It's surprisingly modern. That's exactly yeah. it, right? Um, here is here is Fabricio Verdum, you know, former UFC heavyweight champion against Vini Magalhaes. Look at that! It was one of the most iconic moments, rolling off the mats in an active armbar, and you know, it's just so many outstanding moments. This is when Kira Gracie in the under sixty kilogram final unleashed the first ever choker plata that we saw, getting congratulated by her cousin Roger Gracie, and then twenty fifteen Gio Martinez. Martinez powerbombing Jeff Glover in the under 66 kilo division. Can you believe that? I mean, he basically knocked out or stunned Jeff Glover there. You have Orlando Sanchez's epic gold medal run in 2015. Just throwing Jared Dopp across the mat and then this one of the most iconic submissions in an ADCC final Davi Hamos hitting the epic flying armbar against Lucas Lepre in 2015 man we have got all this and more over 300 ADCC matches from 2009 2011 and 2015 have all been uploaded to flowgrappling.com and not only that but you know what you can do you can go to flow arena Hit the tab brackets at the top of our website. Type in 2009 ADCC and you can bring up the interactive brackets just like you use right now when you watch ADCC trials or, or any of those events. Our interactive brackets, you can pull that up and you can go through the historic brackets and click directly through onto the video links as well. It is something that we are so excited to be able to bring you. Honestly, as ADCC fans, we've had so much fun going through these archives, right? Yeah, and we talk so much about how ADCC is the most iconic event in the sport of grappling right and a lot of, a lot of us don't understand really why right a lot right. of grappling fans don't know why adcc is so iconic is so essential to to what grappling has become 
this is why they, yeah. you can finally you can go through and you can see guys like Marcelo Garcia, like Rafa Mendes, like Kron Gracie, um, really, really people that have made legacies in the sport via ADCC. Right, Andre Galvao, great example. Um, this is a, this is also this is something interesting because you know we had who's next uh, cast member and, and who's number one uh, uh, competitor. Uh, Rene Souza was hanging out with us at the office earlier. He's, he's been in here in Austin for a few days. And so he swung by the office and he was just chatting and hanging out. And man, we were telling him, we're like, man, we've got these ADCC matches. They're going up today. You can watch Gio versus Glover. You can watch Marcelo versus Kron. And he's like, man, I've never seen those. And this is the case for a lot of modern jiu-jitsu and grappling fans. They haven't, up until now, been able to watch many of these matches. Sure, you might have been able to find one or two on YouTube, but we've got the entire divisions. The entire 66, 77, 88, 99, over 99, women's under 60, over 60, and the absolute, and the epic super fights as well. Can you believe it? We're talking epic performances from the likes of Kron Gracie, Marcelo Garcia, Andre Galvao, many, many more. Honestly, uh, it is it is going to be, it's going to keep you busy for a while. <laughs> like, it's, gonna, it's kept me busy for weeks. I've been going through these. There's so much good stuff in here. And uh, yeah. Really, some epic submissions as well. I mean, Davi Hamas's flying armbar, we saw that. Marcelo Garcia, his guillotine cho- choke against Kron Gracie in 2009 stands out. And there's that uh, infamous moment as well of Gary Tonon uh, ripping Dylan Dennis's leg apart in 2015. Man, there's so many amazing matches. And like I said, you can go and you can watch them all on flowgrappling.com. Exciting stuff. Well, now... It's time to continue this ADCC Spotlight series that we've started last week. We did JT Torres last week, 77 kilogram, two-time champion. Who you want to focus on this week, Corey? We mentioned him at the top, but just for a minute, I want to talk about the 66 kilogram uh, ADCC South American Trials winners. The first one, uh, Diogo Hayes. Oh, uh, out of out of Melky Galvao's Fight Sport Manaus, Fight Sports Manaus. Um, We've been following Diogo for, for a little while, but I don't think a lot of people know exactly uh, what makes the baby shark. So uh, such kind of an impressive talent. A lot of it has to do with he looks a lot like the athletes in his training room, right? Miki Galvao, uh, Fabricio Andre. Uh-huh. He's got that aggressive style and really straight. We, we got something we can watch while we're talking about this? Sure we do. Yeah, here, here's the highlight from when he won trials back in, uh, back in April. Okay. Um, but yeah, just really submission-oriented, uh, great positional pressure, and as we'll see in a minute, the st- the strategy is is really what does it for him. But okay, so this is interesting because I was aware of Diogo as a black belt. I was aware of him as a very good competitor. You know, we'd heard the reports coming out of Manaus, and we'd seen him in action in Brazil and in uh, in Abu Dhabi and such. Well. I wasn't really sure what to expect of his Nogi game because I'd never really seen him in action when he turned up at ADCC Trials in February of this year. And, I mean, his gold medal run at the Trials, qualifying to compete at ADCC, was very impressive. But what stood out to you about his jiu-jitsu? You know what? It it was A lot of it was his jiu-jitsu, but I think the majority of it was his wrestling, right? Which is something that is so important. Uh, in ADCC, but can make or break a guy at 66, right? Because at 66 kilograms, there there are a lot of people who will do enough wrestling to to get by. But Diogo, as as the rest of uh, Melky Gavao's camp, has been adamantly working on the wrestling. Here, in fact, are, are two of two of the four the front runners there, uh, Fabrizio Andre and Diogo Hayes. For uh, Diogo, ended up catching his buddy here with a, with a heel hook, um, something we don't see very often, uh, especially coming out of Brazil. Yeah, yeah, we saw a definite um, 
a well-rounded game from Diogo Hayes. We saw the leg locks. We saw, um, you know, a top game. I think, are we going to see a clip of it as well, with his wrestling? Because that was a key, that was a crucial factor in his victory in the final against Diego Pato. And, uh, ooh, that, that did not look like a friendly heel hook against a teammate. But here's there the wrestling. What, what do you think about Diogo's wrestling against Pato? Yeah, D- Diogo, I, see, this is kind of what caught me off, is he looked like he was winning the wrestling exchanges, but he had the, the wherewithal to know when he could score, when he couldn't, and uh, was using his wrestling in that way, so trying to score kind of backing off, giving space, and then dominating dominating the shots again, really aggressively taking the shots, having the right head position, and uh, following through to the back. But yeah, and yeah, he just, just looked looked sharp here, found the opportunity to get to Pato's back, scored when he needed to, when it was appropriate to. Uh, really impressive mat control from a 20-year-old athlete. Yeah, I think this is interesting, isn't it? Because you watch this strategy there, and it, it's uh... – it looked like somebody with a lot more experience of competing in ADCC rules than this young guy has. Because like you say, 20 years old, uh, relatively fresh black belt as well. He's been competing for just over a year as a black belt. A year and change maybe. But um, to go into ADCC trials and to show such a smart game plan like that, that makes you think, well, a couple of things. Number one, it makes me think that, that him and his coach, Mika Gal- uh, Melky Galvao, and the rest of the guys there at Fight Sports Manaus, they've done their homework. They have prepared themselves thoroughly for the very, very specific rule set that you will encounter in ADCC. And not only have they studied it, they've trained strategies, they've, they've developed strategies specific to that rule set that I think that they're going to come in in September and they're going to be maybe a little better prepared than a lot of other people would expect them to be as rookies. Right, which for me, I think... I really hope we see this match. I know, I know it's, it's going to be almost impossible to predict any match at 66, but that for me makes the, the potential matchup between Diogo Hayes and Colabate particularly interesting because of kind of a similar pattern, right? Really well prepared um, for the particular rule set. Obviously dangerous for, from, from every position, uh, any rule set, but studied and trained for, for this rule set. And it's going to be a, a real kind of battle of two aggressive athletes who who know the game inside and out i mean that is one match that we could look forward to there there are 15 that's 16 that 66 kilo division the 16 people in that division is just man there isn't a bad match you could take any one of those competitors or any two of those competitors put them together and i think you're guaranteed a good match and that's 66 kilos who would you like to see apart from kolobata you just mentioned dream matchups right now First round, final, doesn't matter. Who would you like to see Diogo Hayes go up against the 66 kilos? Uh, Kennedy Masayal stands out for sure. Okay. Um, Similarly, uh, 66 is so loaded, right? It is. Um, hmm. <laughs> I put you on the spot. You did. I did. Uh, okay, let's, get, let's pull up the list for yeah. 66. I'm thinking a match with European Trials when Ash Williams would be interesting. I think that that would be an exciting one because Ash is the kind of guy who's been looking for that breakout moment as well. And Ash Williams is like one of those guys. He's, for me, pound for pound, one of the best guys out of not just the UK, but Europe in general. And he's a fantastic no-gi grappler with a ton of experience. Uh, ADCC trials winner. And it's unlikely that they'll see them sort of, you know, matched up, obviously, because trials winners usually get an invitee first round. But stylistically, I like that match. Yeah, 
Choose I, choose another one. I've got a lock pick here, Josh okay. Josh Cisneros. Oh yeah, that, that's yeah. great. Josh Cisneros doesn't know how to have a bad match. Exactly right. right. And, and I I think uh, especially after who's number one against Estevan, I, I think the the general public will realize that neither does the, uh, Diogo Hayes know <laughs> how, how to have a bad match. I've got another one for you, Diogo Hayes versus. Gary Tonon. Like that. Because Gary's now dropped to 66. Let's not forget that. I still kind of catch myself off guard a little bit. I get, I, I'm get. looking at the list. I'm like, oh, Gary Tonin, 66? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, and you know? think about the, the dramatic size difference in that match, too, right? Because Gary, I think, gets as high as 170. And Diogo doesn't... Can doesn't get much higher than 145 true yeah quite the opposite i think he's going to be bulking up for the division because right. he usually competes somewhere around 135 a lot of the time so yeah that's um that's going to be an interesting one tons of good matches there in the under 66 kilos very excited for what diogo hayes is going to bring that's our adcc spotlight for this week's episode of the grappling bulletin and that's pretty much it from today's show just a uh, a few quick uh, comments from the fans here. Uh, we've got some really good conversation going on here. Um, some kind of people are playing matchmakers, historic matchmakers here. They'd love to see Margarita in his prime versus Gordon Ryan. We also <laughs> had comments about Gordon versus Roger. I mean, to be honest, Gordon is the modern era Roger Gracie. You know, if anybody who's got memories long enough or some people who were around in jiu-jitsu back then, when Roger Gracie was active, he was doing exactly what Gordon's doing now, just in a very different way personality-wise. But jujitsu-wise was just, it was too easy for him. <laughs> he really had a competitive match. You know, it was very rare that you see Gordon, uh, sorry, Roger out of position, very rare you would see him tested. You know, if, if somebody scored a reversal on him, people were like, oh my God, did you see what happened to Roger? He actually lost position for a minute, you know? So it's kind of how things are with Gordon Ryan at the moment. But here's another good uh comment here from israel ramos or israel ramos if you don't like ryan you can't deny he's the best there has always been at nogi that's a bold statement you know there are many greats who have competed in nogi grappling over the last 20-25 years especially in adcc you've got you know multiple time champions like marcelo garcia like roger gracie but uh you won't hear me argue that Gordon is one of the best of all times and he's got an opportunity to just further cement that position because his career is he's still only 27 years old yeah and I think within this calendar year he can he can make that decision for himself right I think a couple a couple more uh, big wins the a, a win over Felipe Pena a win over Andre Galvao another success at the over 99 kilogram division that could just about do it for him as far as the greatest of all time in Nogi. I mean, if he does go out there this year and if he does win the super fight against Andre and wins gold in the over 99 kilogram division, he would become the first ever three-time champion in three different divisions, winning 88, 99, and over 99. Right. That's so, so th staggering. Think about that. If he does what he intends to at ADCC in September, he'll have golds at the 88, 99, over 99, absolute, absolute and, the, and the super fight. Wow. Yeah, that raises the bar. That <laughs> maybe puts it at unattainable levels. We might have to wait a couple of generations to see something like that come around again. Um, yeah, we're also seeing I, a nice comment here from David Trotter just saying that the knowledge of fans in this live chat is unparalleled. 
I 100% agree to all uh, hundreds of people watching right now live on our YouTube. I got to say, I 100% agree that the conversation has been fantastic. I'm really happy to have all you guys join us for this show. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you back here next Monday as we get closer to the upcoming Who's Number One. My many more events on the calendar. Go to flowgrappling.com. Hit the schedule tab at the top of the page. You can see we've got grappling just every single weekend. You can watch Gi, No Gi, you name it, much more. That's pretty much it from today's show. See you guys next time.